Dominic, man. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. You know, it's I try to be a good person. I try to do the right things. Yeah. Try to, you know, help old ladies cross the street. Of course. I try to hold the door open for strangers. Yes. I wash my hands after I take a poo or pee. <laughs> I'm glad you specify though, because you know, yeah. some people might, you know. Some people whatever. might do one or the other, you know. Right, right. The state of Ohio <laughs> it has has moved along to the next stage in the process of allowing sports betting into the state to be legalized. Yeah, that, that, that was words. <laughs> the long-winded, yes. What's the technical terminology here, Dominic? It got passed by the... The House and Senate both. All that's left is a governor signature, and it is going to be The House and the Senate? Like the like the big the big house and senate. Well, like the state house and senate. Okay, I was like a Capitol Hill. They put it <laughs> no, on this. Oh no. Okay, I don't know shit about state politics. <laughs> Me obviously. neither. We did so in high school. We thought, but not, they, not anymore. <laughs> they passed in flying colors. Yes. So now, it's Governor Dewine, right? Right. He just has to sign off. He just has to put that little John Hancock to the paper, mm-hmm. and sports betting will be coming to the great state of Ohio in 2022. Now, you might be wondering, like, well, if you're listening anyways, you might be wondering, who cares? Like, I'm not from Ohio. Well, yeah, good point. I'm about to not be either. And it's such bullshit because I've lived here my entire life. I was born and bred in this state. Yes. Yes. And right when I decide, you know what? Time to I leave the this nest. great opportunity in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> the state decides, oh, now it's time to really push this thing forward. Right. That's why if I if there's a lesson to take away from this, any kids listening, I want you to get a little closer. I want you to turn the mm-hmm. volume up just a little bit higher. Yeah. Crank it. There's no benefit to being a good person. <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't think that's where you were going with it. I want all the little kitties to go and tell their parents that the below average Joe's told them that being a good person is not worth it because it is absolutely ridiculous that you wait this long. You know, I, 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 every, every Christmas when I go to tell Santa what I want, I say, Santa, can you please make sports betting legal in Ohio? (laughs) And he says, sure thing. And the fat ass doesn't do it. So, you know, whatever. Ohio, once again, fucking me in the ass. I mean, who would have thought? It's, but, Dominic, as the, as the only person probably listening, watching, <sighs> and, and obviously hosting this show to mm-hmm. be from the state of Ohio, how excited are you about this great an- announcement? Super excited, man. I mean, we went from Ohio was the only state that wasn't legal because we have Indiana next to us. They've got it. Michigan's got it. Pennsylvania's got it. West Virginia's got it. So we were like the only state, right? Now well, Ohio's the only getting one. sports betting. Right. So now <laughs> it's Kentucky <laughs> that no longer has it. And all the states that encompass them in a circle do have it. So hopefully, no, that'll come to you while you're down there in Kentucky. But I am super excited. And the little bit of practicing that I have been doing, 
this last quarter of the year, I'm going to have to start ramping it up because I have a feeling that once this John Hancock gets signed by the governor, things are going to get rolling quick. And before you know it, a legal bet is going to be allowed to take place in the early spring, late winter. I got to get prepared, Noah. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I've been trying to get prepared because I guess if there's a bright side, if there's a silver lining, if there's a sunshine to come from this storm, it's that even though I'm moving to Kentucky, I will be about 20 minutes away from Indiana. So, And actually, my, my place of work is in Indiana. Oh, well. So all I got to do is just make sports bets while I'm working. Exactly. <laughs> so I got to be working while I'm working. You know what I mean? Yes. Noah's future boss, if you're listening, we do apologize. Yeah, the, these thoughts are my own and do not. <laughs> <laughs> they do not represent the company in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, congratulations, Dom. Um, congratulations to um, who else? would? Uh, Big Dave's going to really... have a treat with it. Yeah, well, Big Dave, I, I'm surprised. You know, I'm surprised that Big Dave would bet on sports, considering <laughs> that man has has always it tried to convince me that every game we've ever yeah. watched is rigged, yes. right? Uh, whether for ratings or views, I don't know. Um, he tried to tell me <laughs> this is Dominic's dad, by the way. You know, a great man Dave Slee is, but. This is uh, he tried story, to tell though. he tried to tell me when we were at Dom's house watching UFC 251. That is the Fight Island card, headlined by Jorge Masvidal and Kamara Usman. There's glass, you know. Well, that's because it's a building. Yeah. And, and Dave was like, "Come on, come on, guys. There's definitely people watching. They're behind the glass." Yeah. He essentially the thought glass. there was a glass radius around the octagon area. <laughs> And that it was a literally fully packed stadium behind the glass. That's what he in did. Abu Dhabi, right. in the middle of COVID, right before Etihad Arena was even completed and finished. So, take for that what you will. Big Dave, if you're listening, I hope you're doing well. Now <laughs> let's move on to the fight announcements, and we got one. We got one, and I'm going to let Dominic take this one because. Uh, it's a couple women he holds near and dear to his heart as two top 10 strawweights collide. Michelle Watterson, we last saw her in five-round action in a losing effort to Marina Rodriguez. Is that mm-hmm. right? That's right. Last time. She's going up against Amanda Hebas, who had a bounce-back win against Virna Jandaroba. Uh, this fight tapping on March 26th. Uh, we will talk about the significance <laughs> of that date later. Yes. But for now, Dominic, what do you think of this fight? Three-rounder. Yeah, um, fun fight. Obviously, this is one that was scheduled to be had this year a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. Amanda fell down or fell out with COVID during that. They kind of went their separate ways. Michelle Watterson has been out for quite a while. Also, like, traveling. I don't know if she was doing, like, a movie or something, but she just recently got back to, like, her home there in Albuquerque because she trains at Jackson Wink. So now she's in camp, obviously, for this fight with Amanda Hebos. Number nine versus number ten. For Michelle, can she kind of stay in contender talk and for amanda she's had that one chance to bounce in she failed against marina rodriguez now for her second chance will she make the most of it here potentially get the biggest win of her career and launch herself in should be a fun one man um michelle obviously the karate style fighter and amanda pretty well-rounded but definitely 
the jujitsu ace if it goes to the ground. But Michelle's pretty good on the ground too, so it's intriguing to say the least. And uh, yeah, that's kind of all I've got for it outside of the March 26th that we'll get into in a second. Was that fight booked a couple times before? Or are you thinking of uh, Angela Hill for Amanda Hebus? Oh, I think that I think she's had a fallout with both, if I'm not mistaken, because oh, she did right. have COVID twice. Yeah, but. I mean, it wouldn't it would it would make sense. I mean, again, Michelle Waterson number nine, Amanda number ten. Now she was even, uh, I think, number twelve or so. Probably yeah. when that fight would have been booked. So uh, definitely a fight that makes sense. I mean, Michelle Waterson is who she is at this point. She's a bit of a frustrating fighter to watch, but also can be very fun to watch. She's been yeah. in some fun fights, but um, for someone who is uh, so dependent in a lot of ways on her stand-up, you know, the karate style, she is a very frustrating fighter to watch in that element, especially when the, any distance gets brought into the, the yeah. fray. Um, you've seen the memes, I'm sure, if you're listening or watching, you know, the where she's throwing jabs and she's about 10, I mean, uh, 10 foot away from her opponent. It's it's a bit ridiculous. But Amanda Hebus is someone who kind of likes to close the distance a little mm. bit, obviously likes to try to clinch you up and drag you down, try to really turn it into a more of a jiu-jitsu fight, uh, a fight on the mat, if you will. So uh, I'll be curious to see how Michelle Waterston is able to um, combat that. Will she be able to catch Amanda lunging in? That was something Marina Rodriguez did a really good job of. Mm-hmm. Uh and, you know, Michelle, I don't know if she necessarily has, like, the power to put away Amanda Hebus, but um, I'm interested to see uh, how that goes, I guess, if if she can hurt her enough to where it's significant damage, to where it kind of stops Amanda from trying to push forward, and then you kind of get them into a fight that's more in Michelle's favor. Right. I agree. So that's it for the fight announcements, but boy, do we have a lot of news. This is probably the most news we've had in a single episode since we kind of started doing this format. And one of the big headlines has got to be about Eagle FC. This is the promotion that was bought and now run by Habib Nurmagomedov, one of his big um, uh, adventures or big ventures, I guess, since retiring from fighting. Um, And they announced that they are coming to the United States, which – me and Dominic were very excited about this. You know, just, I don't know, Habib is one of the most decorated, accomplished mixed martial artists of all time, one of the best to ever do it. And for him to, you know, he's always seemed like a very smart guy, very business savvy, very mm-hmm. obviously knows the fight game. So for him to be at the head of a promotion, I thought could only lead to potentially good things. And then for that promotion to already be trying to make a push in America, I was all for it. I mean, yeah. of course, competition is great. Hopefully, I know they were, I believe they're um, partnered with the UFC to where their fights mm-hmm. will air on Fight Pass. I believe that's still the case. I don't know if that deal ever got finalized. But regardless, they announced a couple things about this card in America. Uh, that being the main event being between the highly accomplished kickboxer but also uh 14-0 boxer 2-0 mixed martial artist tyrone spong hopefully i'm pronouncing that name right he's going up against uh, a legend of the mma game that being antonio bigfoot silva also and this is probably in my opinion the bigger i guess headline for this card uh rashad evans coming yeah. out of retirement the former ufc light heavyweight champions coming out of retirement he will be fighting on this card so dominic I asked through a lot of 
UFC legends, UFC former champions, a highly decorated kickboxer in the main event. Um, all sounds great, right? Well, what are your thoughts on these announcements? And what does this mean for your, I guess, personal interest in this Eagle FC card? Yeah, my interest was very spiked when they said, oh, we're going to come to America. I think they're going to try and do 10 events throughout 2022. This one's in Florida. And uh, so I was like, yeah, this is awesome, as Noah said. But then they announced some details, and I'm like, mm, the interest has kind of dwindled a little bit, uh, at least for this card. Hopefully the other nine are not like this. But the main event, I mean, you have a – it's kind of just not in uh, Bigfoot Silva's favor, being that he's 42 years old, I believe, off recording Noah said. If you count MMA kickboxing, bare knuckle, he's on an eight-fight losing streak, seven of which have came via knockout. And Tyron Spong, on the other hand, has a 120-something and seven-loss record across all combat sports. Um, and he's also <laughs> six years younger. So that uh, take with that information what you will. And then for the other thing, being Rashad Evans returning, he left the UFC uh, in terms of his career at the right time. He was on a skid, no more left to prove, a legend, had the title, all these big accomplishments, ultimate fighter, uh, season winner. But he went out on, I don't know, three or four in a row. I think all of them were via KO, TKO. I could be wrong, but I know a few of them were for sure. And I just thought, you know, he's doing so good up in the booth with the UFC pre and post fight. That's kind of like the next wave of his career. Obviously, I think he still is involved with coaching and whatnot throughout MMA. So now he's coming out of retirement here on this card. It could be a good thing. I hope they don't really mismatch him here because that's just something that would not be right to me. This is an organization that over there in Russia has a lot of very high level um, prospects and talent, young, younger talent. So that's why I was so excited when they were coming to America to kind of bring some of them over here as well as get young regional fighters from the States, but they're going the complete opposite direction for this first card. There's debut card. I don't know if they're trying to go big here with this one, but I look at these two cards and I can't help but think Triller. So uh, I don't know, man. I'm not too big on this event so far. Hopefully the others are not like this and they're more kind of catered toward the younger prospects and up-and-comers, what we see when we do the regional showcase on our Monday episodes. But uh, I know you've got some thoughts you want to share as well, my friend. Yeah, you just nailed it on the head. This is the closest MMA booking has really gotten to Triller in a long time. I mean, this you, you can't... For us to shit on Triller as much as we do, it would be a crime for us to sit here and say that we're still excited about this and that we're on board with it just because it's Habib and their ties to the UFC, whatever. It would be a crime for us. And, and any person who is kind of <clears throat> having that double standard should be held accountable by the people that listen to them. I mean, the, this is just terrible matchmaking by all by all accounts i mean i said you know i gave triller a little bit of credit with their uh triangle the triad combat thing they did i thought the fights were pretty fun but then when you got to the top of the card when once frank mir is coming in and fighting this yeah i forget his name now but the very good boxer who had fought for a world title before and he got absolutely demolished and, you know, was wobbly on his feet and fucking big Dan, I think was the one that was like, if he dies, he dies. I mean, my God, yeah, absolute nuts. And, and I was like, this just ruins the card when you do shit like this, like these mismatches. Like, yeah, I get it. There's name value, Frank Mir, right? And that's the case here. Bigfoot Silva. Great. Good name value. Yep. The guy who's fought for a world title. 
was a mainstay in strike force and UFC's heavyweight divisions. But the guy is so past his prime. It is unreal. It's not just, you know, 42 years of age at heavyweight. You could potentially be a world champion if you're Randy Couture. Yeah. But for Bigfoot Silva, this guy might as well be 56 years old. I mean, he is he is so beyond like fighting shape at this point. And I get it. You're going up against a guy. He's as accomplished of a kickboxer and boxer as he is. Relatively unknown MMA talent. So Bigfoot Silva probably has some advantages in this fight, but I don't even, I'm not even going to get into that because Tyron Spong, by all accounts, will be the favorite for this fight, I'm sure. He should be. And if Bigfoot Silva doesn't get knocked out, I will be shocked. And it just makes me sad because this yeah. is a guy who's, you know, it just the seeing kind of where Bigfoot Silva's career is gone, the fact that it's still going, and the fact that he is, you know, he's kind of bouncing around. He does a boxing fight, tried to do a bare knuckle fight. You can tell that he's basically any promotion that will let him compete, he's going towards. And I yeah. and I understand how hard it is to leave the sport, you know, when you've spent your entire life preparing and, and training for these moments. But he should not, health-wise, I by by the eye test should not be competing in professional combat sports anymore. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, as much as I respect and love Habib as a fighter, this is a huge, like, blow to him as a promoter right off the bat. I mean, putting this fight together, I, I just hope that nobody gets hurt out of it. That's all I yeah. want. Right. And then with Rashad Evans, I'm at least, you know, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. The problem is, you know, Rashad Evans spent you know, this this retirement or coming out of this unretirement or whatever. It, it was kind of expected for me. He's um, he's been hinting at it for a while. He was even trying to call for a boxing match with Jake Paul there for a second, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, and Jake Paul, my God, getting the ten eight on Rashad by being like, "Who's that?" Because I mean that's as as much as we know who Rashad Evans is, and I know Jake Paul probably knows who Rashad Evans is, but the truth is, like, I mean, th there isn't really that kind of relevancy anymore for him, right? And you saw that in that that end of his UFC career where he was being knocked out pretty much every fight. You know, the Anthony Smith knockout's a hard Oof, one. Yeah, it's a hard one to watch. For him to come out of retirement and pursue MMA is just where I'm like, like I would, if this was him going into that kind of celebrity boxing realm, you know, the Anderson Silva, Tito Ortiz, well, not Tito, but the, what Anderson Silva's kind of done. Yeah. I would at least be more okay with it. I would say like, okay, it's a little safer, uh, still get to compete. Um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of rumors that Tyron Woodley uh, may be uh, having a boxing match with Dan Hardy sometime next year. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe Rashad Evans put his name in that kind of hat. You know, if you want to compete with an, another MMA legend or a name of the game and yeah. do a boxing match instead, all right, fine. Make your money. Do whatever you got to do. I just – there's there's not a lot of room for positive results here 
but there's so much room for things to go really bad. Yep, that's a good way to put it. And and it's just such a shame for a guy like Habib, who we is so respected as a fighter and and you know has this reputation of being like this mentor and this and this, you know, he is quite he is quite literally a leader of the people he's around. So now he's put in this position where he's sort of a leader of a fight promotion. And to have these fights be the ones that they thought, like, oh, these are the, the fights that are going to really get people excited. Don't ball for it, people. I mean, this is, this is by all accounts, bad matchmaking. Yeah. Bad matchmaking. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, and I'm going to treat it like a trailer card right now. That's how it feels. Yeah. So if we're going to, I mean, if you guys are going to talk shit about trailer, you better, you know, keep that same energy. And it's unfortunate to say, but yeah. Next one here. Uh, this is another interesting thing to be coming out on fight week. So yeah. Dominic Cruz, who again we're going to talk about again later. He is fighting Saturday, by the this way. This is true. Uh, this this came out of his uh, scrum with the media earlier this week. I guess yesterday is when this happened, or yesterday when we're recording. I yeah. Say. Um, he was asked about his his uh, co-workers on, on the commentary desk, you know, what he thought of the work that Daniel Cormier and Michael Bisping or, uh, or just everybody does in general. And he, he showered uh, John Anik with a lot of praise for the amount of preparation he does, which I, I I've heard that before, you know, John Anik's you can just att- tell attention to detail, like the amount of uh, prep he does in, as far as watching the fights um, he, I, I, apparently since they, he was a big proponent for the fighter meetings where they all, everybody work in the broadcast meets with the fighters right. in advance. And he had, he has every fighter speaking to a microphone, how to pronounce their name. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way he can like learn how to, the correct pronunciation. So, I mean, the attention to details pretty astounding. Yeah. Um, and then use that to kind of transition into the fact that he said when Daniel Cormier is on commentary, he mutes the broadcast. Uh, those are his words. And then uh, kind of following that saying he doesn't do the work, he doesn't do the prep, he doesn't really – he's like he, – he said that he loves D.C., that he, he does think that D.C. cares about the fighters, but that he's ultimately there to get a check and leave and that he doesn't really do the prep – that I guess Dominic Cruz feels is necessary to do the job. So this is kind of a weird drama yeah. bit to come out of fight week, but Dominic, uh, I, I know there's even some stuff that's come after this, you know, the video Daniel Cormier posted of him and Dominic Cruz having, I don't know what you would call that. Some sort of discussion sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Bisping crashed. And then it just, that kinda, was funny. It kind of went off the rails a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, uh, what 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 where does your mind go when you when you're reading all this stuff and you know is there is there a a, a good guy and a bad guy here where what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, it caught me off guard. It was it's it's a bit odd being that they are coworkers and they're obviously friends. Like I don't think that they aren't and that, like that they're fake when they're together or anything like that. It was just I'm gonna cruise a guy that just tells it how it is and he's kind of always been that way i don't know if he even realizes like sometimes when he says things that it's just cut and dry and it is what it is and he doesn't like to be wrong though which 
what well, you could tell a lot in his thing, his sit down, I'm going to call it a sit down with DC after the fact. Um, and those two kind of just like talked about it and they were telling each other how they thought. And then Dom's like, well, I'm not wrong, but tell me, you know, what's bad about me on commentary. And DC said, well, you're just a bit dry and that's all and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, well, I don't think I'm dry, but there you go. That's a, your opinion, blah, blah, blah. Then Bisbean came in. They kind of uh, they brought up a point, though, that I thought was uh, an interesting sound or tidbit, sound bite, whatever you want to call it, where DC used to have a, um, pay someone to do his preparation for him or like the note-taking portion. Like yeah. he said, he would still watch fights, but all of the nitty-gritty kind of stuff he would pay someone to like do. The ba- the background info. Right. Um, where DC, if you're still looking, by the way, I, I take pretty good notes for the show anyway um so i thought that was interesting then he was saying to bisbing how oh you thought you wanted to do it at one point blah 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 and bisbing's like i want to give the first fight on the prelims the same amount of attention as the main event it just turned into being just some wacky fun three guys talking the shit and i don't know we didn't really get much out of it is basically (laughs) why you didn't like it i think the most but um you know at the end of the day i don't think there's like a ton to take away outside of the fact that it was weird. It came during fight week. DC now has to sit there and call a dominant cruise fight after this happens. So I think it just makes things rather awkward if you ask me, but again, dominant cruise is just the guy that's going to talk. He's going to tell it how it is or how he feels. And it's kind of the end of it for him. So definitely just something we haven't seen before during fight week. That's for sure. I mean, I look at this though, Dominic and um, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, I guess forward. I mentioned on a previous episode uh, uh, that Daniel Cormier is my favorite mm-hmm. of the fighters turned commentators, and while I still hold that opinion, you know I do love Daniel Cormier on commentary. I like what he brings to the table. I will admit it seemed like over the last few weeks, I don't know how far back I would go as far say that I started noticing. Um, that you know, he, it seemed like every card there was a one or two instances where it was like just a bit head scratching for Cormier, mm-hmm. you know, forgetting a fighter he's interviewing's name and it, yeah. I forget what fighter it was now, but it was someone who was pretty well known and you know, on a well, and, one of them, was Sean Brady. Yes, that's what it was. Yes, yeah. okay. So when he forgot Sean Brady's name, I was kind of like, I mean, this is a guy that just won the co-main event. He's like one of the bigger. Yeah, undefeated. Bigger <laughs> prospects. Yeah. Bigger up-and-comers of welterweight. I'm like, oh, well, that was a little strange. So yeah. I started noticing around, you know, with stuff like that, that um, it seemed like maybe Cormier was kind of, what's the word, going through the motions a little bit mm-hmm. maybe in his prep. Yeah. And I, I'm not one to accuse anybody of anything. I mean, I don't know what, what he does behind the scenes of, but I just started to notice little stuff like that. So when Cruz said this, I was kind of like, oh, like that makes sense. Now, I think, and I'm not, you know, maybe I I shouldn't say it like this, but I mean, I think we can all admit, like, I mean, Cruz shouldn't have said this, right? Not, I mean, not like that, no. If you are really friends with the guy, if you really, uh, you know, if, if, if you really value your friendship and your professional relationship with Daniel Cormier, I don't think that you, what he called hold him accountable. I don't think you do that in a public setting first. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, it appears that this, this has never been communicated to Cormier privately. Yeah. And I have a big problem with that. I mean, he's in a, 
Cruz is very much straight shoot from the hip, like tells it how it is, tells the truth. And I respect that. But I mean, come on, man. Like, yes, he was asked a question, but he was asked about everybody he worked with. He didn't right. have to. And I mean, you didn't have to say like, I mute the TV. I mean, that's, that's not really holding someone accountable. That's not love as he was saying. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of like, I mean, it's kind of shitting on someone a little bit. Well, and you know that when you say something like this to the media, no matter what else is said, they're going to take the any like the negative portion and make the headlines of it, you know, and the articles and what. Yeah, I mean, I I saw a lot of the the love part, but it wasn't that much. I mean, yeah. the majority, he said, "I love DC," and said, "I believe DC respects us fighters or supports us fighters." I mean, that's the only two lines that were positive. Everything else was I mute the TV. He doesn't do the work, the preparation. He takes, he gets a paycheck and leaves. I mean, that's those are pretty big yeah. claims to throw at somebody. They're so hard. of course that's going to be the headlines. I mean, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of love in there, right? But um, so I didn't really agree with that kind of mindset that I guess they had where they were trying to pick at the media. But I, I, um, I know they can be an easy target now. I mean, does it really matter that like who's at fault here? No, but I just think that that's a bad place to start is to air this out publicly. Um, it appears that there's not a whole lot of like bad blood from it. I mean, DC, based on that sit down, which look, it's a waste of time to watch it. If I'm being honest, I mean, it's a goofy video that like you know you see those two, and then Michael Bisping shows up, and it's kind of funny, but. It's it's literally a mess. <laughs> I mean, you really don't get anywhere. Like I really thought I was gonna watch this and we were gonna get this like really, you know, introspective mm-hmm. like discussion between these two about their their differences and how they prepare and maybe DC would walk away feeling like he needed to step his game up or something right. or, or something would be learned. And instead, the video we got was nothing like that. It was kind yeah. of a it was kind of a fart in church, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Um, but I don't blame DC for putting it out. That's going to get bonker views because of suckers like me. <laughs> um, so, but I would just say if you haven't watched it, you're not missing anything. Um, now, I will say that what you brought up was the biggest takeaway from the video. Was yeah. The, and that is a pretty big point, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. Um, the, the fact that Daniel Cormier was paying someone to do his, um, essentially the background check, if you will, for all these fighters, you know, digging into what did their past and kind of where they come from, uh, maybe where they initially started fighting style-wise, whatever it may be. It, am I wrong to have a problem with that? I mean... No, it caught you know, me off guard. I was shocked. Like, I'm not I was shocked he said it. Yeah, like, I'm not saying that it, at the end of the day, he's the one that has to communicate this on a broadcast and has to set the stage. Yeah. Has to, but when you have someone else doing the work that you get paid to do, I mean, it comes off like it's kind of like cheating on an exam or something. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, it's like, it's so weird. I, I was kind of shocked, yeah, that it got brought up, that it was said on yeah. – and I get it when, like, Michael Bisping's like, you know, when they're kind of like, have you thought of it? And he's kind of like, uh, 
<laughs> like I get it, of course you would, because you know it's a grind, man. I'm sure that is such a grind. And those guys are so busy doing other things. Yeah, you know? like you know, the, you don't have all the time in the world. I mean, these guys are now. You see, Bisping and Daniel specifically are making the move into YouTube, and yeah, you know, the, Michael Bisping is a podcast he does, I think, every week, and you know, obviously preparing for a broadcast has got to be a lot of stress and a lot of work. So it's like. Who am I to really judge? But at the same time, because I am a man who's cheated on the exam before. <laughs> but um, I just when I when he said it, I was just like, "Whoa!" Like that to me was the worst part of all of this. Like, yeah, if it's one thing to not really like, I don't know. I when it came to like oh you don't watch fights like i really i mean i'm sure it is very important to watch the fights the previous fights for these guys i think daniel it sounds like a lot of what he does is just like well i called those fights mm-hmm. or i saw those fights live i don't need to watch them again right it's like us on here if we were trying to you know when we call back to like uh you know we talk about john jones versus tiago santos a fight that we remember very fondly, a great fight. Tiago Santos, one leg, basically, the whole fight, mm-hmm. winning these rounds against Jones. But if I'm honest with you, I haven't watched the fight since we watched it in that B-dubs. And for right. all I know, I could go back and watch it, and I might score it for Jones. Exactly. Now that the, like, you know, the immediate, um, I don't know, the the – when you watch it live, you need to watch a fight more than once to truly score it. So when yeah. we're like, "Oh, I think John Jones has lost multiple fights in a row," well, maybe we maybe we, we don't should go back that. and watch them. Yeah. So it's just for a guy to be put in a stage where he is commentating a the card. It it's a bit shocking to hear. Um, I just overall, I think the the pain someone part is definitely where I'm kind of like. Like it started with me being like, okay, Cruz, that was a bit of a dick move. And then Daniel's like, you yeah, paid someone to prepare. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, I can't root for anybody in this situation. I'm like, yeah. you both kind of shitty because you get paid to do this job and you're basically paying someone else to do the work and preparing you for that job. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That seems a little, a little iffy to me. Yeah, a little, a little fishy. Yeah. Any final thoughts on that one, Dominic? Do you think? Do you think we're? Do you think these guys are going to be able to sing "Kumbaya" and sit by the fire anytime I, soon? Oh, well, I saw someone tweet that clearly the next fight night, these three need to be on commentary, and no, no, John Anik or um, um, Brendan Fitzgerald. Oh. So uh, you know, obviously that won't happen because they're three of the like fighter analysts. But still, it was just a cluster, man. And Bisbing was just the comedic relief we needed in there, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, I will say that the A team, as they call it, will be on commentary Saturday. Yeah. So it'll be Anik, Rogan, and Cormier. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of has been said about the the Rogan Cormier combo, especially. But I'll be curious to see kind of how it goes Saturday now that this has been brought up, and especially during the Dominic Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now here's some stuff we missed before we get into UFC 269. And that starts with a little bit of boxing. This is actually Dominic's favorite topic of the day. He said, Noah, I want you to make this a headline. And I was like, Dominic, the people would turn on us so quickly if we did. Do you know how much it hurt me to put them in the thumbnail again for this video? 
Oh, you did? <laughs> anyway, there's your behind-the-scenes look at how we feel, people. So, Tyron Woodley, the tattoo bet worked. <laughs> he got yeah, that. He got I that. I love Jake Paul tattoo with the with the caveat that if he did so, he would get a rematch. And well, rematch he has gotten. Mm-hmm. Now he gets it on a week notice as Tommy Fury is out of his scheduled bout on December eighteenth. Yep, next 18th? weekend. Okay, I didn't know if it was next Saturday or next Sunday. He's out of that bout against Jake Paul. Now Tyron Woodley stepping in, and you know. The first fight, we didn't watch it. We watched Stephen Thompson. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but which is so funny that we both <laughs> did that. And I can tell you, I'll probably do it again because yeah. um, the truth is, it sounds like by all accounts, we didn't watch it. But the first fight was pretty lackluster outside of that one moment where Tyron had him on the ropes, uh, hit him with a real good shot. But really, besides that, I mean, Jake Paul just kind of outpointed him to a decision that fight was so exciting so you know fantastic for the sport they decided let's run it back yeah why not right biggest money fight of the year and tyron is talking big this time dominic yeah he said i'm really gonna let the hands go well no there's a bet on the line I don't well, know if you've heard. If he, if he knocks out jake paul he gets an extra five hundred thousand. yeah signed and sealed so, Dominic, with all those elements being brought in, is Tyron Woodley going to let the hands go against Jake Paul? I just spit when you – I don't know. Um, fucking shit. I don't know, man. I, I uh, was so oh, upset. You're, oh, you're actually considering it. Oh, no, I'm just considering on what I even want to say here with my brain. <laughs> okay. Um you know, I'd like to hope he does because obviously he has the power to knock out Jake Paul. Um, I want to bring this up because I heard this on the Chael Sonnen show with George Sedano. Chael, for what it's worth, though, the bad guy, Uncle Chael, he says a lot of things. It's part of the reason I love him so damn much. Yeah. But on his show, he goes, now I heard there was a rumor that in the first Jake Paul Tyron Woodley fight, Tyron wasn't allowed contractually to knock out Jake Paul. He said, now, now, now George, that's just a rumor. I'm just telling you what I heard. Chael gets a lot of that. He says a lot of these things. So what if that's true or not, which I doubt, but that would be crazy if it was this time around $500,000 on the line. If he can, I would like to think Tyron comes out and lets the hands go. He knows that he can hurt Jake. And at the end of the day, I still feel like he's an all around. Well, maybe I can't even say that though, because Jake Paul legitimately won the damn fight from what we heard from Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, that is. So, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Noah, I'm just going to say this. I don't know if he's going to bring the hands. I hope he brings the hands, and I hope he knocks out Jake Paul. There. My, my favorite saying. my favorite part is that we watched – just Stephen Thompson gets brought into this because we both watched his – him well, watch unknowingly, we were watching the same yeah, thing. That's, that's what, what I thought made was so it funny. So funny. Um, anyway. Yeah, okay. Obviously, we're the MMA guys, so, you know – Jake Paul's done a great job of making himself the pariah of the yeah. fan base. And because of that, of course, we want Tyron Woodley to win. Tyron Woodley's one of us. You know, we and it's not just because it's against Jake Paul, it's legitimately because Tyron Woodley is an MMA guy. He's a former yeah. world champion, one of the best welterweights of all time in the UFC. Yeah. I hate that this is how his career's kind of went since he, you know, he dropped four straight in the UFC. Mm-hmm. 
And then he goes to boxing. And, you know, the, the first Paul fight, like the buildup was great. And I will admit that. Yeah, we they, did, yeah. they did a fantastic job. And this time they're obviously working kind of on a crutch. Yeah. I mean, they only had one week. and But I really felt like I wasn't seeing a lot. And maybe it's just because I wasn't looking near as much. But that when that Tommy Fury, Jake Paul fight, I didn't see it getting near the buzz. Yeah, that, I feel the same way. So I, I'm kind of wondering if that's a sign that maybe this Jake Paul kind of circus that's been going on has maybe reached its 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 ceiling and that it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure they can still make a lot of money with the guy, Showtime or whoever uh, were to promote his future bouts. But maybe it shows that it is kind of a bubble. Eventually a bubble's got to burst, Dominic. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> so That's just the I, bubble from SpongeBob. I will say it's funny. I did not know the dirty bubbles that you said. Um, I didn't know that about the Chael Sonnen show. And that's that's funny. Yeah. I hadn't heard anybody say that publicly because what I had been hearing, and I never looked this up, and that's my fault. I should have done the prep. Call me Daniel Cormier, whatever. Um, <laughs> was that there was supposedly a leak that like uh, Tyron Woodley's contract for that first bout had been leaked online. Mm. And that it did say in so many words that he could not knock huh. out Jake Paul. Now, I don't know if that's true. I mean, how do you know it's a leak that it's his? Con- I, I, don't, right. I, don't, I don't know. I'm just saying that I heard that. Maybe that was just someone spinning something from what they saw on Chael Sonnen's show. I don't know. But I do find it interesting that that is kind of what – I mean – would I be surprised? No. But also, I'm pretty sure that's fucking illegal. <laughs> Can we cue the meme? Can we pop that up on the show? That's fucking illegal. Because I'm pretty sure you could bet. You could definitely bet on that previous fight. So if you bet Woodley by knockout because you had no idea the contract said that's he true. couldn't be knocked out. I mean, Whoa. That's why, like, I have a hard time believing that because Showtime was behind it. And, you know, Showtime's pretty big at this point in the fight oh, promotion. Yeah. So I don't know if I believe it. I just think what's more realistic, that Tyron Woodley wasn't allowed contractually to knock out Jake Paul or that he just didn't let the hands go really like he has shown he hasn't in the last bit of his MMA career. Again, you're fighting Jake Paul, a guy who's still a novice boxer, but he didn't do he did kind of what he what Tyron does, at least that we've seen over his last few fights. And that's why I have no doubt this fight will go very similar to the first one. I don't see Jake Paul knocking out Tyron Woodley. If it does happen, I'll be very sad. But um for Tyron for this fight, I just think it's gonna be kind of a you know. Uh, rinse, repeat, recycle, whatever. First one. And then we'll move on. Well, I like the second bullet here anyways. No. Yeah. So we mentioned Watterson and Hebus. That was happening March 26th. And what's interesting about that is that that looks like it's going to be the first fight night mm-hmm. in two years. Yeah, yeah. To be located outside of either the Apex in Las Vegas and or Fight Island. Yeah. And it's coming. Uh-huh. Come on. I'm getting to chills. Columbus, Ohio. That's damn right. No, knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. And the main event of that card, by the way, Jan Blahovich versus Alexander Rakic, Rakic, however you want to say it. You can say it both ways. But it's a 
by all accounts, might be a great fight night. And Dominic, might I just say, it feels pretty good to be to be emphasized, to be, you know, we're the we're we're mm-hmm. the prize here. That's you know? right. Damn right, so, Ohio but, baby. But here's my question. Obviously, we're excited about this. We will mm-hmm. be attending this if it happens. Um, this is March 26. Again, you even mentioned off recording. Every other fight night up to that point is still going to be in the apex. Yep. That's where they are booking right now. So it looks like March 26 is the first. And I will say Aaron Bronstetter had an interview with Dana White, and he kind of asked him about this. He said, is that the first of what's going to end up being just events around the country instead of just doing the apex? And Dana basically gave that answer of, I'm focused on next week. I'm not really focused on that um you know things change so quickly that you right. never know but i'm gonna ask you dominic is this a sign of the times are we finally getting back on the road and is the ufc going to be traveling to basically locations week in and week out over the course of uh i guess april to the then on for 2022 yeah that's a good question man um this would be almost two years to the day where they were supposed to have the columbus car that we had tickets to got canceled when the world essentially shut down so that's why i think they want to kind of start with columbus kind of pay it back which makes sense i'm still like in a bit surprised that they would do it but it's fight night so it's not like a huge deal anyway so it makes sense but then moving forward, I had the same thought going through my head. I'm glad you brought that up. It should be a fun discussion because I feel like they they really are comfortable doing the, the shows at the Apex, and you got to think it saves so much time and resources and money for them to have it in-house. But they're still losing out on a gate. And, you know, Nationwide Arena, for example, if it's in Columbus, that's 15, 16, 17,000 people sure to sell out because events are never here. They're never in Ohio or even this tri-state area hardly ever. I mean, for crying out loud, this one back here was the last time they were in Ohio. That was in September of 2016. I just shook my whole desk. I'm sorry if anybody got dizzy. <laughs> um, so it would be interesting if they kind of start with Ohio and tr- start trickling them out like they used to do. I mean, fight nights literally are all year long. And they the UFC, tr- it's kind of crazy that we've been looking at it for you know a year and a half now just in Vegas, and it seems so simple. But when you really look back over the years, and you're like, damn. They would travel every week all across the country, all across the world. And it's like mind boggling to think about. Um, So I would be curious to see if that's what they want to do. I enjoy the apex. I enjoy the fights with no fans, but I will say I've really started loving having those yelling, screaming fans. And I hope I'm one of them come March. So if they can begin to branch back out, I hope that they do so long as it's beneficial for them. Obviously, it's great for the fans. Everybody's going to want to start attending these again. The more events they start having, the more that we could potentially reach out and go to and be a part of as well. So that's just selfishly me thinking. But at the end of the day, it's a it's a lot for the UFC, but something they are not like they've done this for years at, at this point. So maybe they're going to branch out, say goodbye to the Apex man, and for Ohio to potentially be the start of it. That's pretty damn cool. So. You do think that they're going oh, to? <laughs> I guess I, it is a yes and no question. <laughs> I mean, it was a good answer to to give your thoughts, but I'm just as far as is is that going to be the? Are we are we done with the apex for the most part at, after March 26? I think we will be. I think this will really kickstart it. Maybe not a week 
every single week, but it's going to start kicking them off and kind of a snowball effect, I think, is what I uh, foresee happening. Yeah, I, I will agree with you. I might even say it might, I, my answer might even be less than what you're thinking. I think you might see like one a month for mm-hmm. 2022 be in, um, you know, a location outside yeah. of the apex. And then maybe sometime 2023, they'll start really going back to that kind of schedule they had before COVID. Um, a London show has been rumored yeah. and London's been such a volatile location with their COVID restrictions. But, you know, that's a card that's been rumored to happen. I think the week before, I think it's March 19th. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess that's not happening then, right? Because they they put the the name. The Let me look at Mark's apply. thing while you talk. Well, regardless, um, that's a card that's been rumored, and you know there there's so many locations that they can do. There's probably a couple others. I don't know the other locations that got canceled. Yeah, uh, like because I know Columbus wasn't the only one. Right. Um, Obviously, Brazil, that, kind of. Yeah, there was that uh, card that Woodley was supposed to headline with Leon Edwards, and I can't remember. That That was was in London. It was? Okay, Mm -hmm. so London obviously would be a prime target. Um, There's definitely some places that they would probably look to go, and it'd probably be those places that they had to cancel on in the first place. Yeah. Um, I just think it's cool. Columbus, you know, I know Ohio, you know, what's there good about Ohio? If you live outside of Ohio, you're always like kind of, but what is that state? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it is it north? Is it south? Who knows? You know. Apparently, everything's but, looking up for Ohio now. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, Ohio is just on the up and up <laughs> as I'm leaving, right. uh, which is fantastic. But no, I will no doubt be in attendance with Dominic on March 26th, and uh, maybe you know what might have some good content for you guys when we go. That's right, brother. Yeah. Uh, following that, Holly Holm. In case you guys didn't know. As great of a career as she's had in MMA, only surpassed by her boxing career. Mm-hmm. One of the best women's boxers of all time. And she is now going to be enshrined forever into the Boxing Hall of Fame. She is a member of the 2022 class. This is a pretty big class. Miguel Cotto's on there. Roy Jones Jr. is on there. A great class. And she gets inducted. It's awesome. It, it goes to show, I don't think a lot of people realize in the MMA like atmosphere how great she was, but she was like a multi-weight, multi-time world champion. Um, and then she comes over to the UFC and utilized that to become a UFC champion with the help of a very good kick, by the way. So shout out to Holly Holm, an OG of women's combat sports and very well deserved. I will definitely agree with you there. And the last one here... Uh going to be talking about some more women's MMA. Again, that interview with Aaron Bronstetter that I mentioned, uh, this happened Wednesday. That was when the interview was uh, published. Um, He asked Dana White about Kayla Harrison. And now previously, when they talked about Kayla Harrison, the discussion seemed to, to me to be very much like Dana was saying, oh, Kayla should probably stay in the PFL. Mm-hmm. She makes that much money to beat up on talent that is well below the caliber that she should be fighting at. You know, if I was her, I would stay there. You don't want to mm-hmm. fight Amanda Nunes, you know, this or that. Kind of a – it's a bit of like a, a backhanded compliment, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely you – know, a lot of people called it out as being like, you know, just hardball negotiation or whatever tactics and that might be the case because he confirmed in this interview 
that the UFC is negotiating with Kayla Harrison as we speak. They are in talks. Uh, you mentioned she will be in attendance. That's what it looks like. Card, um, for UFC 269. And, uh, you know, that's cool. But another note here was Dana, before even talking about Kayla, was asked about the trilogy fight that apparently everyone's been asking for Except between us. Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko. Obviously just saying, fuck you, Juliana Pena, <laughs> in this instance, asking him what his thoughts are about having those two fight a third time. And uh, in the past, Dana has first was kind of cold on it. Then it seemed like after Valentina's last win, he was like, you know, if they want it, mm -hmm. I'm all about it at this point. And then in this interview, it was interesting because he's like, well, I've thought about it a lot, and I just don't know if I see the reason to do it. Yeah. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. You're one of us. <laughs> um, the Joes. So I guess uh, with all this being brought up within the span of like five minutes in this interview, Dominic, uh, to me, once I heard him say that he was more unsure about Nunez Shevchenko, Obviously, I'm sure I know Dana is a is a guy who who shoots from the hip or whatever we said that about Cruz. I mean, he he says what's on his mind. I have mm -hmm. no doubt that he truly says how he feels. But also, this is a guy that is constantly working. I mean, this is a guy that's always involved in the negotiations. He's involved in everything that this that this company does. Uh, when I have no doubt that him being a little bit colder on this. Nunez Shevchenko fight is less because he came to a realization that he doesn't really like the fight and more because it's looking like UFC will secure Kayla Harrison and that that is the the more immediate fight for Amanda Nunez. What are your thoughts in, on that scenario and do you kind of hold the same uh, opinion as me? I mean, my how the turntables in the great words of Michael Scott because what a 180 here from Dana White and, uh, you know, Kayla was at UFC 268. It looks like she's she was in a plane on her way somewhere today, and I'm just assuming, but you know what they say about assuming, anyways, that she's going to be there in attendance, not only because she's working with the UFC and negotiating, but at the end of the day, her teammate Amanda Nunes is fighting in a championship fight, so she's going to be there in support, and, well, maybe to size her up a little bit more too now, but, you know, this was, um, this was surprising, definitely exciting, but I have my, you know, uh, cautions, if you will, too, because you and I have been big on whatever is to come next for Kayla. We weren't gung-ho on just launching her in with Amanda or with Chris Cyborg. We're all right with, okay, go ahead and come to one of the bigger promotions because you're obviously going to get an, a step up in competition. Get one or two in, see how you fare, and then, by all means, take go ahead and take the title fight. Um, but it looks like if the UFC signs her, they know exactly what they're going to do with her, and that's feed her to the lioness, Amanda Nunes. So uh, it's very interesting, man. Uh, we're going to be obviously all over this over the next couple of weeks to see what happens because Bellator was really gung-ho. Scott Coker was all about bringing her over. So now they might just be in like a bidding war. Who's going to give the most money? What's going to make the most sense for uh, Kayla? It's very exciting, very interesting. And man, is she going to do it? I'm going to have to say yes. No, it looks like all signs are pointing toward Kayla Harrison in the UFC in 2022. Yeah, and I and I was the one that said I thought that had the least chance of happening out of her three <laughs> yeah. options. Between yeah. Bellator, PFL, and UFC, I was like, yeah, the UFC is the least likely to happen. 
but you know, the, when you're a company that big, and yes, Bellator is is the number two, but a sizable, sizably less so yeah. number two in, in in terms of how much money they have to throw around. You know, even if the UFC may not value her the way that a PFL would, where they'd make her like the outright number yeah. one star, they still probably can offer her. I, I know this is a controversial. This might even end up being a controversial thing to say because of the people's uh, thoughts on fighter pay. But it sounds like they can probably offer her more money than the PFL can. Yes, the PFL has the million dollar. Yeah. You win, you get a million dollars. But I'm just saying, you know, it can do a lot for someone's career to go to the UFC. It, the notoriety. Not, yeah, know. it's not even just about like you know the the fight, the money you're getting to fight or to yeah. win. I mean, you got pay per view points. You. You got the, the eyeballs that are on you, the yeah, sponsors. Just, exactly. What could come of that is, is yeah. very big, I'm, I'm sure. For Kayla Harrison, she has proven that she is special. Mm-hmm. I'm just, my reservation is just the idea of throwing her and Amanda <sighs> into a fight immediately. Now, am I saying Kayla Harrison cannot win that fight? No, actually. I'd be very interested in seeing how her wrestling would do yeah. with Amanda Nunes. But I also understand that the jump up from Taylor Guardado to Amanda Nunes is, I mean, guys, Taylor Guardado would not be on the UFC roster, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe she would. I don't know. She would she would not be if the if they truly had, you know, I don't know. It, it's kind of a nil point because that was women's lightweight. But all I'm saying is. She is not a UFC caliber fighter, in my opinion, Taylor Guardado. And you're going from that as your probably best opponent you fought to Amanda Nunes, the best women's fighter of all time, one of the best fighters in general of all time. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Right. I understand they're training partners. so they, Yeah, they got a that, feel. That is to her benefit. I mean, you, you've been in there with her, I'm sure, from time to time. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I just think it's a lot to ask out of Kayla. And I think there's got to be a concern that if, you know, if Amanda does get the better of that fight and, you know, you got to favor her at least somewhat, mm-hmm. you know, does that hurt Kayla Harrison moving forward? If she gets beat in round one, round well, if you're two? the UFC, what do you even do yeah. with her? I mean, you know? this is a, this is a woman who's going to fight at 145 pounds in the UFC. We just lost another women's featherweight fighter, Felicia yep. Spencer, who shout out to her. She's retiring, so yep. shout out to her. But I mean, this division is it's, not a division. We said not, it time and time again. Yeah, it's just uh, it makes me wonder: Are they gonna? Is this gonna be the move that would make them invest more? True. I True. mean, I think I keep holding out for that, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just I have a reservation, but at the end of the day. I cannot lie that if tomorrow or if you know Saturday they flash the graphic, which they wouldn't do this <laughs> right. because Amanda's fighting on that card. But if it said like, or even if it's just a graphic that said Kayla Harrison coming 2022, they did like the Brock Lesnar. Can you see me now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they did that with Kayla Harrison, I cannot lie. I would be very excited, and I, I would of course be very hyped for a fight with her and Amanda Nunes. I just. I'm trying to think of the the long game here. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's all for that one. Do you have anything else? 
Are you telling me it's time to actually talk about UFC 269? UFC 269 happens this Saturday. Ooh, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. <laughs> we start with this main event, the main event that I have been waiting. This is it. To talk about. I mean, I have been waiting for this day. Rolling up the sleeves, Noah. This also is because it's this, just hot in here. This is but. the working man's fight. The blue, blue collar. collar fight right here. Yep. As Charles Oliveira looks to make the first defense of his UFC lightweight title against the number one contender, Dustin the Diamond Poirier. Now, Dominic, 2021 and even 2020 were big years for these two. You know, Dustin has really kind of came alive of sorts in, in terms of for the not just for the hardcore fans who knew that Dustin Poirier was great, but yep. he's kind of went out there and proved it to even the casual fans. In 2020, he had a, a war with Dan Hooker, a fight of the year. Um, used that fight and kind of transitioned into the two fights with Conor McGregor, which you know obviously put him on a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, while I wouldn't say that he's some pay-per-view draw now, I would say that just having that amount of eyes on him is at least – Put him, you know, on a level where he's at least recognizable now. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. to get the better hand of both of those, to finish Conor McGregor in both of those. Yes, I know the second fight, blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> by all means, Dustin Poirier is kind of a made man. He got the hot sauce now. Yeah, it's, um, it's he's, good, he's too. Got, he's done a lot. <laughs> Charles Oliveira, another one. A guy who – this is a guy who five, six years ago – was this journeyman, this middleman, this guy who when he got hit with a clean shot, he would just roll over and quit. And he has somehow went on this huge winning streak. And, you know, a lot of names might not jump off the page, but you get to the point where COVID hits that very first main event in the COVID era, if you will, in Brazil, where he submits Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee not in the company anymore, but still a good win. You follow that up. With the performance of the year for the 2020 mm. Joey's as Charles sure. Oliveira got the better hand of Tony Ferguson for three rounds. And then Dominic, he wins the big gold belt against Michael Chandler, knocks out Michael Chandler. Did you yeah, guys watch right. Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje? Yeah. I'm yeah. just saying. I'm not saying. Like, look, guys, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Charles Oliveira's got more power than Justin Gaethje. I'm but just when saying, you look into it, I'm just saying. <laughs> you look at the fight. Charles Oliveira knocked out Michael Chandler. Justin Gaethje couldn't do it with his best shots. I'm just saying. <laughs> now, now, Dominic, I've just set up a lot there. But my question for you. You know, if you want to get into kind of why this fight matters so much to you, mm-hmm. but I also want to to kind of take you in a direction. Is the champion being overlooked in this matchup because of the, I guess, the significant name value jump that Dustin Poirier has taken in 2021? Well, I'm going to answer the latter first because he's 100% being overlooked. He's the betting underdog. Uh, we talked about it in our Twitter group chat. You and I, when we're liking each other's messages, putting fire next to them, you know we're on another wavelength of thought (laughs) process. So, you know, I'm not, like, surprised he's the underdog because of the huge year that Dustin Poirier has. And a lot of that probably does have to go toward 
you know, the casual audience being that he's the betting favorite. But Charles Oliveira, man, he has done nothing but improve fight by fight. He's won nine fights in a row. Okay. Eight of them are by way of finish. And I'm I glad just you think, said that. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just astonishing. Noah said he used to be this journeyman. He couldn't even make weight successfully at 145 pounds. He's had injuries in the past. The weird one with Max Holloway. Yes, he's fought Max Holloway, people. He's been in there with everybody. And here he is today at the top of the mountain. Noah, he's only 32 years old. Dustin Poirier, also only 32 years old. These are two guys that are in the their absolute prime right now. And they are the two clear-cut best lightweight fighters in the world right now. And they're colliding for the fucking championship of the world. And they earned earned every single bit of it, too. Not a single single bit. Not a single thing was given to these two guys. 54 combined UFC fights. I mean, uh, a fun fact is that uh, if, if... uh, Charles Oliveira were to win on Saturday, that would put him at 20 wins inside of a UFC octagon. He would be only the ninth fighter to do that. You know who one of those eight that's already done it is? The Diamond. Dustin Poirier has 20 wins in the UFC. So, I mean, it's just these, these guys are some of the most accomplished ever. And, yes. you know, for Oliveira, the title win was spectacular. He does it against a spectacular opponent. But, there is something, you know, there is something missing right now that, that the fans, you know, that, that whether it's because of the reputation he's yet to be able to fully shed of that guy who couldn't make weight as a featherweight, who got finished a lot, who, who kind of was just a jujitsu guy. And anytime he got hit in the face, he wanted to quit. In so, this other, in this other bullshit narrative about how he quits and fights. Did you see the fight with Michael Chandler, people? Did you see that <laughs> fight? Did you see the adversity he faced against Kevin Lee even? I think people forget there was adversity yeah. in that fight. Like that whole narrative of how he quit and fight because of the one he had with Paul Felder. Well, that's the last time he's lost, and he's not looked back ever since then. So that is out the window for me. That mindset that like even Gaethje's talked about it, they've asked Dustin Poirier about it. I'm not even contemplating that in the my – predictions and thought processing of this fight because that Charles Oliveira is no more this is the new Charles Oliveira so I just had to toss that in there as well on top of the other things that people have kind of doubted you with you're right this is the this has been a part of the discussion is you know the 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 durability of our champion Charles Oliveira Um, let's be clear Charles Oliveira is a stone-cold killer the guy has finished pretty much anybody and everybody and he's done it with the hands He's done it by choking choking him out. I mean, he's the Tony Ferguson fight should have been a first round submission. I mean, yeah, that arm bar. Any other person taps, or their arm just snaps. Unreal. So, I I think he is being severely overlooked here. But you know, at the same time, it's hard to like look at the odds. You know, you look at the odds and you see that he's a betting underdog. And you have my immediate reaction is to be like, man, you motherfuckers. <laughs> like, you motherfuckers. Yeah. You really going to sleep on this man. But then you look at who he's fighting Dustin freaking Poirier. He's fighting Dustin Poirier. And, you know, a part of the reason why I think that that narrative keeps being brought up, Dominic, about, 
you know, Oliveira's past, you know, the fighter he used to be, is because Char- or Dustin Poirier has never been that fighter. A, a dog. Yes. yes, don't get me wrong. He's had his ups and downs, whether it was when he was a featherweight, you know, when he fought Connor the first time, mm-hmm. or even as a lightweight. Remember when he got knocked out in the first round in like a minute by Michael Johnson? Yeah. Michael Johnson had one of the most amazing careers for a guy who never made it. <laughs> yeah. Like crazy. But he's never been a guy who's looked at as like a quitter. He's never mm-hmm. looked for a way out. He's been in so many wars in his career. And for the most part, he's gotten the better of those wars. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, uh, you know, necessary point to make. I mean, look at this guy did take out Justin Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez and Connor twice. And mm-hmm. I mean, Dan Hooker. It's Anthony it's Pettis. Anthony Pettis. Yes. I mean, the, 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 the resume speaks for itself. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's not just a, an Oliveira, you know, I, I hate when people, when people use, like, they try to tear down one guy to build up another. That doesn't need to be done here. Like, sure, Oliveira has that past and whatever, and you can say whatever about his resume. The, the reality is Dustin Poirier's resume is better than probably any fighter in yeah. any division, especially for a guy who's never won the belt. Yeah. At least the undisputed. The, yeah. You know, he beat Max Holloway, which is a name I didn't even bring up right there. Yeah. He outboxed Max Holloway for five rounds. He's beat Max twice. Beat him at featherweight too. I mean, he outboxed him. This is the guy. Oh did yeah. You see what he did to Calvin Cater. I mean, did you see people? Um, that's why he's the favorite in this fight. So it's hard to like say that they're wrong for that. Right. But Let's I don't just call know, it I, even. I don't know what direction this fight's going to go. I don't know mm-hmm. who's going to win if I'm being honest. You know, obviously we don't know. But in terms of even giving like in my head having a prediction, I don't know. Oh, I've this loved, is a coin flip if I've, I've seen loved that. the rise of Oliveira. You know, I've been big on that. We've we've been big supporters of him and you know as much as i try to stay neutral in the fights i watch and i love michael chandler too when that title fight happened and Oliveira got the knockout and mm. won i mean i leaped from your couch yeah it was like screaming I, it's been a long time since it's been since stipe beat yep. daniel cormier the third time that i think i've done that so obviously his rise has had a big effect on me but man, Dustin Poirier—that's that's that first fight in 2021 with Connor, the second fight overall. When he knocked out Conor McGregor, it gave me the opposite reaction. It left me fucking speechless. Me and our good friend Tyler Porter, who is a big Conor McGregor fan, and Dominic—I was Dominic decided I was in a to trance. Rub, he tried to, he decided to rub it in unintentionally, <laughs> unintentionally. No, you really didn't. You just said, like, oh, my God, he did I it. I couldn't believe it. it. Yeah. You had that reaction. Then I was, like, speechless. Yeah. So it's like one guy just completely left me, like, couldn't react at all, couldn't say anything. And one guy had me at, like, a yeah an emotional high. And that's not because I like or dislike either guy anymore. I love both these guys. It's yeah. just they have given me such diverse yet – equally impactful reactions this year and if i while i can't predict a winner i think i can say with pretty much 90 percent certainty in my heart this fight doesn't go five rounds Dominic. 
I, yeah, I'm. Are I'm, you going to go that far? Like, do you not want to go that far? I can't see it. I during my notes and when I try to make my predictions, we don't give them on air anymore. Mm. But we still have our predictions in mind, and I'm just like, how is this going to go? And every kind of outcome that I put through my brain, none of them go five rounds, man. The the way that these guys fight and the way that they're going to counteract with each other. And they're just finishers to the core. I mean, that's Charles Oliveira specifically has 19 wins, as Noah said in the UFC. 17 of them are via finish. He he doesn't. What is the distance? Charles Oliveira don't know what that is. <laughs> I and I will say if it does go later rounds, and I'm not knocking on the heart of Oliveira that narrative I already discussed, but you still got to lean toward Poirier because we've simply seen him in these dog fights. We've seen him go mm-hmm. five rounds. We've not necessarily seen the 25 minutes. Of We've seen 15 damn good minutes, but the extra 10 is a whole nother ball game. So it's going to be just a dog fight if it goes off five. But no, I don't see it. I can't. I simply I, I, can't. I don't see this fight going past. I'm going to say if it goes out of the, if it goes into the third round, I think that that's a good, like, that's a, we're getting a damn good oh, fight. Oh, yeah. I'm in the same boat, boat. If it makes it through half, you know, two and a half. I don't know what the over-under is on the rounds, <laughs> yeah. but I'm saying if it goes over two and a half rounds, I would be significantly surprised by that. And um, that's for good reason, because these two are going to leave – they're going to try to leave nothing to chance here. They don't want to leave it to the judges' scorecards. No. And their styles are so – they're so good at what they do that – there's no doubt one of them's going to get an upper hand. One of them's going to land a good shot. One of them's going to find themselves in an opportunity to finish this fight, and they're going to take it. Yeah. Even if it's a risky one, you know, even if, you know, let's say, let's say uh, Oliveira and Poirier are fighting against the defense, and, you know, Oliveira sees an opportunity to jump on a standing guillotine, or not standing guillotine, jumps into a guillotine. That's a risky move. You yeah. mess that up. All of a sudden, Poirier's on top, and we yeah. saw he can land some good ground and pound when he fought Conor McGregor. Yeah, he's no slouch on the ground at all. Um, but then, vice versa, you know, if uh, if uh, Poirier lands a great left hand or right hand, drops Oliveira, he might jump straight onto the ground with him and try to finish that fight. Do you want to be in Oliveira's guard? <laughs> That's this is this is the this is what I this is just the way I see it going. Like even when you think that one guy's won, they're likely gonna be in another guy's yeah. vice grip still. So that's why it's such an interesting fight. It's probably the most interested I've been in a fight all year. And I, yeah. I think that's safe to say because we're in December. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. in terms of my overall excitement for a fight going in, I think this is the most excited I've been, especially for a main event all year. I mean, we're just talking the two top guys a coin flip fight man like there's a lot of close fights on paper that we break down over the course of this podcast but this is one of them that is just so insanely razor thin with so many strengths that both guys hold and really neither guy have hardly any weaknesses we're in for quite a treat regardless of who wins how they win it's going to be something this might be a question for monday but i'm just going to go ahead and ask you now if if Dustin Poirier wins, does he retire on Saturday? Prior to media day, I may have been very strongly leaning toward yes. But he had an interview with Bisbing with BT Sport. 
And he kind of laid out and made it clear that, no, if he wins, he does want to defend the belt. And he said he still has a vision of making one appearance at 170 pounds. But what he did say is that, regardless, I'm not going to be as active. I'm not going to be a three, four fight per year guy after this one. So take that with what you will. And I told our friend in our group chat, like, you know, I said, go watch that interview. He kind of laid it out, but take it with a grain of salt, right? Because at the end of the day, if this is a war and he gives it his all and he gets that belt that he says time and time again, this is the one thing left to check off the list. I'm still leaving that possibility open for Poirier uh, regardless. Yeah, I've not been one of those people that thinks he's going to retire. I know that that's been out there and for good reason. But I, I've been one of those people that thinks he's going to at least defend. If he were to win, I'm saying on Saturday. Yeah. Um, I think he will look to defend that belt at least once. If he loses, I'd be interested to see kind of what would mm-hmm. be next for him. That's a Monday discussion, though, so we'll leave that for then. Uh, co-main event. I love this headline, the final boss. If you guys have ever played a fighting game, or really, I mean, any game, there's always kind of a final boss or something. But fighting games specifically, I'm going to talk about Mortal Kombat, a game that I've played a lot. You know, Dominic is unaware of that game, of course. So uh, I'm aware. You can can mute your mic if you want to sit this one out. Um, (laughs) That that feels weird. I can't even hear, like, any background noise. It just goes dark. Um, so with Mortal Kombat, the final boss is Shao Kahn. And for those of you that play Mortal Kombat, you probably just had this little tingle go down your spine. You're just like (laughs) this little, you just felt this little gust of wind against your ass. And you're just like, I don't like it. Shao Kahn is the biggest son of a bitch that has ever been. He's there. There is not a cheaper piece of shit character than Shao Kahn because in order to beat him, he basically forces you to find one thing that you can spam on him for the entire fight. And then at, by the end, you just don't even feel that accomplished. You're like, mm-hmm. they really didn't earn it. I just kind yeah. of found something I can spam on him. So it's like, even when he loses, he still wins. <clears throat> That's kind of like Amanda Nunes here against Juliana Pena. Now, before we get too deep into the discussion, Dominic, right? we do have a... Uh, a viewer question now who does this who, who does this gentleman go by uh this message is from none other than our good friend harry balzania hey fellas i was just wanting to know if you guys think that we have a better chance of seeing juliana pena winning this weekend or us finding girlfriends next year thank you fellas Thank you, Harry, for uh, submitting your question. Uh, Dominic, you want to lighthearted to start the discussion? Uh, you know, Harry, I, I got to say, those are I, both options you give face insurmountable odds. Um, I'd love to see the betting on that, but um, I'm going to have to lean in Juliana Pena's favor there. It's been a tough few years here for the Joeys, and uh, I know for you, Harry as well so um you know my thoughts are with you in this kind of journey throughout our your romantic endeavors but uh noah what do you think pena or uh or love mr brett michaels <laughs> Brett Michaels. <laughs> um you know i you're right the odds are insurmountable right? you know, it's uh something that it's it's a pipe dream right you yeah <laughs> but i'm gonna be honest 
I think there's a better chance that we all get fucking married in 2022 <laughs> than Juliana Pena wins this fight. Yes, Man. that's right, people. Clip that if I'm wrong. You know, you can expose me for years to come. Do the shit you guys have been doing to Colin Cowherd all week. Dominic, the question here, I, I've I've done this so many times at this point. When when Lauren Murphy shits the bed against Valentina Shevchenko, and I feel stupid for asking you before the fight, well, Dominic, what should be, you know, if she were to win, what does she got to do? And you kind of fumble your way through it because let's be honest, there is no fucking way that she's gonna win that fight, at least without some some magic happening, right? Right. You know, like which we've spell. seen, we've we, seen, we have, we, and even you know, the biggest upsets of all time, usually, not always the case. Like Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey, like how did people not see that? You know, Sarah GSP is the one. Sarah GSP is like that one that just yeah. is like what the like. As good as Matt Sarah is, it's just like, what the fuck? That's why we love the fight game. So obviously anything can happen. It's a fight after all. If anything, the, the sport of fighting is so much more volatile than, you know, any the other. NFL, the MLB, yeah. the NBA. Because fight speak, you, you know, you could theoretically, it could be just as much of a beatdown as a, as a 20-point lead in a basketball game. But in basketball, there's not a 21-point shot to put you in the lead. Right. There's an equalizer in the fight game, mm -hmm. you know? So with that, Dominic, I'm not even going to ask what Juliana Pena's game plan should be. I think it's very clear. She's been submitted by Jermaine Duran to me, of all people. Even though her ground game is what she usually goes to, she shows that she has holes there. Mm -hmm. And standing, I mean – this fight's one-way traffic, in my opinion. So yeah. I'm not even going to ask you, how does Juliana Pena win this fight? I'm just going to ask you, how long can she really last with the GOAT that is Amanda Nunes? You know what I'm um, intrigued by in this one is that not a lot of people like call out Amanda, try to get under Amanda's skin. So what's like Amanda's mentality going to be? Like, Is she going to come in here looking to just wreck right through Juliana Pena? And if so... Jinkies, because it, it could get ugly fast, man. I mean, Amanda is someone that has shown to be methodical, picks her shots. She'll go the distance if she has to. She'll get a late finish if she has to. But she can also just put you in a triangle armbar and get you out of there in, what, a minute and 10 seconds? So she's so good. She's one of the best uh, talents we've ever seen in mixed martial arts history. Truly just world class. And how long can Juliana last, man? She's a She's a dog. And I know that, but she's shown that vulnerability, as you said, and she's been finished. She's tapped out. And, uh, you know, that mentality can only take you so far when you're in there with Amanda Nunes. I I can't see it going more than, like, the third round, if I'm being honest. And it's not like I'm here to shit on Juliana. I'm not. She mm -hmm. is a great fighter. She's accomplished a lot, ultimate fighter, winner. But it's just, as Noah pointed out, the final boss, there are levels to this game. And Amanda Nunes has shown time and time again through seven title defenses now, 12 wins in a row, multi-division champion. She is just that damn good. Yeah, I like Juliana Pena. I think she's a good fighter. It's just you can't be good <laughs> and beat Amanda Nunes. Right. That's, that's, not, that's not a thing. At this point, you have to be perfect. 
Like she's ranked what third? She's ranked third in the division. Yeah. yeah. So technically, it's like number four if you put Amanda at number one. And I think that's pretty accurate. She's like the fourth or fifth best women's bantamweight, which means that she's probably ten levels below Amanda Nunes at this point. Mm-hmm. That's not a knock on her. That's a credit to Amanda. Exactly. Nunes. But the reality is that even in what Juliana Pena excels at, she still has a lot of holes in. She got submitted by Jermaine Duran to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, do I need to repeat that? Go ahead if you want. Yeah, I think okay. you get the point. It's okay. it's Jermaine Duran to me, world accomplished kickboxer. It was her first submission win ever. Yeah, I mean, this woman's been competing in MMA for 20 years or so at this point. I'm just saying that even though she has she has some skills, obviously, especially when you when you go to the ground, she she can you know she's very competent. But how is she going to get it there? Amanda Nunes is so much bigger, so much bigger. And Amanda's so good on the ground, man. And Amanda is so good on the ground, and she's very aggressive. That's the thing. Juliana Pena lacks any sort of aggression in what she does. She's good at getting the fight, you know, or when the fight is in kind of where she wants it to be. You know, she can be effective fighter. Mm-hmm. But she's not very aggressive. And Amanda Nunes is all aggression. And that's almost a knock you could have on a lot of the women's fighters that we see week in and week out. There's not like a ton of aggression in kind of what they do. And that's why you see people like Amanda Nunes, like Valentina Shevchenko, like Zhang Weili, like Rose Namajunas, excel so much because they are all aggression. Jessica Andrade, another one. Yeah. They come out and they really bring the fight. You know, but it kind of leaves a lot of their opponents like a deer in headlights. Like they just... What's happening? What's happening? Oh, you're about to get run over. Well, it showed a lot when Amanda fought Megan Anderson, especially, too. And that was a fight that people at least were, like, kind of wondering, you know, Megan Anderson, bigger than Amanda Nunes. Yeah, strong. Might have some power, maybe. You know, that was the the wonder going in is, like, you know, this is the first time Amanda Nunes is probably going up against someone who's bigger than her. And Amanda, I think maybe being a little pissed off that that was even brought up, got her out of there very quickly. I have a hard time seeing this fight get to the second round, and if it does, I don't think it lasts much longer than that. It's This is all Amanda Nunes all day. It's hard not to agree with you, partner. Okay. Lower on the main card, now oh. or never, for the former Bantamweight champion of the world, Cody Garbrandt. He has had a rough, rough run since winning that Bantamweight title. I believe he has won in four. Yeah, he's, that, he's lost four out of five. Yep. Yeah, four out of five since winning the belt back in 2017. Um, he is now making the, the move down to to flyweight, which is cause for a little bit of caution, a little bit of, you know, it's a little scary, right? But Dominic, surprisingly, and he's going up against number six ranked flyweight, Kai Car France, which we'll talk more about him. But what's kind of interesting is, we didn't really realize this because Cody is known mm. for his knockout power and for his ability on the feet, but he's a smaller bantamweight compared to a lot of the guys he was fighting. And I mean, an interesting note was um, he weighed less than Henry Cejudo on fight night when Henry fought at flyweight when Cody was fighting at bantamweight. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I so, believe he told Joe Rogan once he would like walk around at 138. Like he didn't cut yeah. weight. Yeah. Which I will say he looks great, at least from the, the pictures I've seen. I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't see the I didn't see the scrum for him if he had one. I didn't see 
how he looked there. He looked good. But I thought he looked great, like, in the pictures that he was putting out. I was like, he looks very cut, obviously. Yeah. Now, the question's just going to be, once he gets in there, how's he going to be able to handle the shots? And Kai Carprance, great striker. Um, this is an interesting first matchup for Cody because Cody showed in his fight with Rob Font a willingness to wrestle. Mm-hmm. And Kai Car France, his biggest Achilles heel has been wrestlers. Yeah. He is not, he does not fare well with being taken down. And he struggles to not get taken down against pretty competent wrestlers. So, because of that, I could see Cody going straight for, for the wrestling. But then you look at the Rob Font fight, and Cody, whether it's because of the co- the effects of COVID that kind of lingered, yeah. I wonder if that'll still be an element here. His gas tank didn't quite hold up like we were used to seeing from him. Mm-hmm. So because of that, if that's still a similar problem for him here, will he try to bring this or get this fight out of there early, try to land the knockout blow to put Kai Carfrance away? I think that's a dangerous game to play. Your chin's been tested a lot at Bantamweight. If anything, it's only going to make it worse when you're cutting the 10 pounds to flyweight. But I do think this is going to be a very good fight for showing where Cody Carbrandt really lies in this flyweight division. I mean, Kai Car France is, you know, he's in that middle of the pack and no doubt a great fighter, but one that obviously has his holes and has his ceiling. And I think if Cody Garbrandt is serious about staying here, about making a title push here, he's going to have to get past Kai Car France to put any sort of confidence in me or anybody else, I would say. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Akaikar France, we love the guy. He's always in fun fights. He's still only twenty-eight years old. Cody just now turned thirty, so it's two guys that still you would like to think have you know some fight years left in them. Cody's been in some wars though, like you said, man, and coming down an extra ten pounds. Can that chin hold up? He proved in the fight with Rob Font for what it's worth that he doesn't just have this glass jaw that everybody was saying. He took some big shots in that fight with Rob Font to his credit, um, but we did see him gas, and we weren't used to that. Again, could that be due to um, you know some effects from COVID that he had? Maybe. Hopefully, by now, all of that is out of his system. He says he feels better than he's ever felt before. He feels that he should have been here his whole career. He said he texted Dana two or three weeks ago and said, man, I wish we would have done this sooner. So I am very intrigued to see how he looks. What kind of game plan is he going to implement? If he does stand and bang with Kaikar France, yes, Cody's lightning fast. He has a ton of power for Bantamweight. So he's going to be super powerful at flyweight. Kaikar France hits hard, and he brings a lot of volume. And I don't know if Cody's going to be able to kind of withstand those down that extra 10 pounds. If he wrestles, I would like to see it. One, just to see. Cody is an amazing wrestler, and he's been with Alpha Male for years, but it's something we never see him do outside of the Rob Font fight because he just loves boxing and striking with people. If he uses it here, it might be his best path to victory. Could see a different side of Cody we've never really seen and be a fresh start in a fresh weight class. For him, if he comes down and can starch or run through Kaikar France, let's be honest, people, he's likely going to be put into the winner of Figgy Moreno, assuming they don't have something crazy happen in January, like another draw or some shit. And that's just how it is, because Cody was originally supposed to fight Davison Figueredo, for those that remember, until he had COVID. So he has a lot to prove here in this one, not only because he's coming down, but because there's big implications in terms of a title on the line. Kaikar France, he's looking to get the biggest win of his career and kind of just halt this guy Cody trying to come down and take what's his, I guess, if you will. 
Yeah, I'm sure guys like Askar Askarov and Alexandre Pantoja are going to be upset to hear that, yeah. but it's the reality. Yeah. I mean, Cody Garbrandt's going to be the biggest name in this division uh, immediately. And with the win, putting himself in close to the top five, there's no doubt that I would say if he wins and does it in an impressive fashion, which is a, you know, that, that is an element, like it should be yeah. an impressive win, then I think you look at him fighting the winner. And for Kaikar France, let's not, you know, look over the fact that if he wins this fight, yeah, I don't think the same is on the table. I don't think he leapfrogs either of those two guys I just mentioned. But no doubt a win over Cody Garbrandt and he's put in the talk. He's he's right back to where you know he lost some momentum, uh, I would say over the last year and a half, two years, but no doubt he's right back to in that discussion with the top of the division. Yeah, I agree. Now let's get into the rest. Some interesting fights to go over here. Let's start with this uh, featured bout that's been kind of a weird one. We talked about Jeff Neal's arrest on, I believe, last Friday. No. Monday. Yes, Monday. One of them. Yeah. Uh, We talked about Jeff Neal's arrest then and kind of not being sure if he was going to fight or not. And really there was no doubt, I guess, that he was going to fight. No charges were filed, apparently. So uh, here we are, Jeff Neal, Santiago Ponzinibbio. And it's hard to not, even though we could be overblowing it, you know, Jeff Neal spoke out at the scrum, kind of made it sound like it wasn't that big of a deal. He had a couple drinks with his girlfriend, he said, on Thanksgiving. Um, When he left, he got pulled over. Uh, The cop tested him. He had blown over the limit which he claims is should not have been the case and that he gave a blood test after. So that's the results from that are coming back. Um, meanwhile, he also has a, I guess, a, a gun on in the car, but I guess it's a gun that he legally purchased, legally owns. Um, weird stuff. He, he definitely downplayed the whole thing, and I'm not sure if I 100% believe all of that, but... All in all, he's still fighting here against Santiago Ponzinibbio, and maybe yeah. the situation is being overblown, but it has to be a part of the story here. Oh yeah, you know, just two weeks before a fight, you know, you're having drinks to the point where you can't drive, which I know it doesn't take much to blow over that limit, but um, it's cause for concern, I think, to say the least. So, Dominic, is it enough to where it has changed kind of the outlook of this fight for you uh, going in? <sighs> As much as I hate to say it, it has, man. It really has. And I'm not saying Jeff Neal can't come in and win. Uh, and it's honestly, he needs to win. And I know he's he's on two-fight skid, and it's against great competition. Don't get me wrong. Um, against Wonderboy Thompson and then Neil Magny. Both were decisions, by the way. But still, I, this just feels like a must-win to me for some reason. Especially now, like, if you start getting into trouble outside of the octagon, it seems to be harder to like maintain a good relationship with the UFC. There could be some outliers there, but a lot of them, even though they still fight, don't have the best relationship. So again, I hope it's all nothing too serious. I hope Jeff Neal, what he was saying is true. And you know, if there is help that needs to be had after this, hopefully the UFC gets that to him, but the fight itself, it's interesting because I do have my doubts now, um, but you pointed out off recording and I couldn't help, but agree with you in my head that Pons Nibio you know, bounce back. He he lost his return fight to Li Jing Liang in brutal fashion. Then had a fight of uh, the night and one of the best three round fights of the year against Miguel Baeza. He won that one in a dog fight. But it's not the same Ponzinibbio that we saw 
before the injuries and the illnesses, a guy that was really tearing through the division, looking like a future champion, a future title contender. It's not that same guy. So in this one, I'm essentially now sitting here like, what the hell are we even going to see from either guy in this one? It could be fun. I mean, both guys like to finish fights, but it, I, I don't want to say it'll be boring. I just don't know what I'm going to see, Noah. That might be the best way for me to put it. Well, let me try honesty. to let me try to help you with this because it seems like okay, it's a fight that's a, it's appropriate for being the third fight from the top. I mean, it's a good fight on paper, but with the elements of is Jeff Neal mentally in the best place? Which mm-hmm. is that fair to even speculate on? I don't know, but it's like, you know, is he is he in the right place? mentally or even physically like is he is he really in this fight while for Ponzinibbio physically he is not in his best form it almost feels like a fight where it might be really fun it might be you know a, mm-hmm. a war but it feels like we're not going to get the best of either guy in here so it almost kind of brings down the intrigue yeah but at the same time it's a big fight you're right i mean jeff neal I don't know if I would say it's a must win, but three losses in a row against the toughest competition you've had definitely calls for concern if that were to happen. Yeah. But then for Ponzinibbio, I almost feel like he's in a similar boat. Yes, he did have that win over Miguel Baeza. It was a great fight. Miguel Baeza, a great prospect. But, you know, if he were to get knocked out by Jeff Neal, mm-hmm. and that can be done. Jeff Neal, great hands, great power how the ufc you know they don't tend there's not a formula to when the ufc kind of cuts guys loose you know some guys seem to get cut at different points of their fall but it seems pretty obvious that if he were to lose here positive you were to lose i feel like the majority of ways in my head i see that going if he were to lose is that it's going to look like a guy that's again past his prime a shell mm-hmm. of his former self and it will the ufc kind of cut him loose be like uh you know he's only here he, he can only really beat our prospects he can't really beat the guys that are in the top 15 you know why are we holding this guy around right so if anything it feels like a fight that's equally as important for both participants yet neither guy Am I confident we're going to get the best of them here? So it's a weird one. Yeah, that it is. It really is one of those weird, wacky fights. You don't mm-hmm. see it much, but no. Uh, we open our pay per view with a very interesting fight. I think. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are some people that are kind of like, "Oh, why is this on the pay per view?" But guys, let's be real. Shadow Malley is a star in the making. He is one of the brightest and best of this young and talent stacked bantamweight division. But Dominic, he's no not easy being given a scrub. Mm-mm. And people think he is. That's where I which thought you is, were going at first. Which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that that is a part of this uh, absolute crazy. And it's, it's because Sean O'Malley is kind of like, he's not to the point of like, you know, like Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, whatever, but, but he draws in. He, he does have the, like a casual fan yeah. base behind him. Yeah. Even though, like, it's weird. Like, it's not like he's some pay-per-view draw. I mean, he he's on the pay-per-view, but I'm, he he he's helps a, a little. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's got he's definitely got a boosted profile. Yeah, but he has a lot of casual. And I remember I've just seen so many people calling fucking Raleigh and Biva a, a scrub, and you guys, uh, look, come on, 
Raleigh and Paiva, I will admit, when he was a flyweight, he was a bit underwhelming. Even the win he got, I believe, over uh, uh, was it Zamagulov or Zuma Zuma? Uh, yeah, I think he did beat him. Yeah, um, that was a fight that most people thought he lost. So he mm-hmm. he had a kind of a rough run at, at at flyweight, and it seemed like he was you know maybe a loss or two from being cut. But then he moves up the bantamweight and has a awesome performance against Kyler Phillips, yeah. who's another guy that's very young and talented. Yeah, he's and, won three in a row now. Yeah, uh, I mean, P- Paiva. Who is his win streak on? I'm curious. Besides, let me go look. I, well, you said the one. Um, yeah, um, was that was that his last win? I let believe me, was. Let me check in here for you. Okay, so while you're doing that, it's it's just very interesting that you know this guy is he's dangerous in this bantamweight division. Was ranked mm-hmm. for a cup of coffee, and then of course you know shakeups happen and he gets taken out. Um, this to me is a gut check for Sean O'Malley. Yeah. You know, I believe in Sean O'Malley's talent. I believe that this guy is a very high ceiling, but I also believe in the talent and potential I saw in Raleigh and Paiva and his last few performances. So before I finish this, do you want to go ahead and give me the, the names? Uh, so the win streak, Mark De La Rosa, uh, Zalga Zumagulov and Kyler Phillips. Yeah. So it seems like even though he has the win streak, as a flyweight, he was a bit underwhelming. Yeah. But then that fight with Kyler Phillips showed a lot. I mean, it, it really does. did. Yeah. It feels like even though it's one fight, it may be, for all we know, Kyler Phillips just isn't as great as we thought he was. But I think the reality, I think, of this situation is that um, – Piva's really saw, good. I think Piva's <laughs> in his correct division now. Yeah, yeah. And what I was going to say is, for Sean O'Malley – I believe in his talent. I believe in his potential. I believe in the talent of Raleigh and Paiva as well. If Sean O'Malley is going to be the fighter that people have kind of thought he could be, a champion-level fighter in his bandweight division, this is going to be the fight where we're going to start to see that. In my opinion. Yep. Yeah, he's fighting a well-rounded guy that is good on the ground and really good everywhere. And it's a guy that doesn't have a lot of finishes. No, only seven out of 21 wins mm-hmm. means that he can go the distance. He can grind it out. And we've seen Sean doesn't look the best when it goes the distance. He still looks good. Don't get me wrong, but he shows more vulnerability as the fight goes on. What I'm really curious is in this one too, I think Sean is going to look so much bigger just because Sean is a very big bantamweight. Yeah. He's 5'11". He has a very long reach, 72 inches. So, yes, Paiva's in his right weight class, but I still think O'Malley's just going to look very big. We know how good of a striker he is. Um, it looks like he's working on some of his grappling from what we've seen with some of the PI videos this week, but, you know, that's all just training videos. We'll see how it looks in a fight. But he's really going to have to show a very well-rounded skill set here, I think, to beat Paiva. I don't think he's going to go in there and just steamroll through him. If he does... I'll eat my words, but I, I do think this will be one where, like you said, we get to see O'Malley tested and one that he needs to prove. If you beat a guy like this, let's really start boosting you up these bantamweight uh, ranks. It feels like he is back to where he was when he was going into that fight with Marlon Barra. Mm-hmm. It's yep. like, okay, you are on the precipice of greatness. Yes. Obviously, the Marlon Barra fight was kind of a mess for him, but here with Raleigh and Paiva, it could be one-sided. I do think Raleigh and Paiva, regardless of the outcome, has a bright future. Mm-hmm. 
but it could be one-sided. The the biggest question mark for me is through all of Sean's fights so far, he really hasn't had the threat of the takedown. And because yeah. of that, he has been so loose, so comfortable to fight his kind of fight, the very exciting striking, a lot of spinning attacks, a lot of real nice kicks. He's very, got a lot of fun kicks. He gets in a very fun flow state. Yeah, very fluid in, in, mm. in the cage. But now you do have the threat of the takedown. You know, mm-hmm. Raleigh Paiva will mix levels here. And because of that, how does that change Sean O'Malley's game plan? You know, will he throw as many kicks? Will he look to keep it with the, the hands? Um, will he be a little more stationary? Mm-hmm. You know, will, will he not be quite as fluid in his movement? Um, just a lot of things that variables, I think, that make it very interesting because Sean has not really been tested in that in that area for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this is a great way to open the pay-per-view, though. Oh, 100%. Now, the headliner of our prelims is a great way to end the prelims. <laughs> you ain't shitting. And that's uh, two top ten featherweights. This card is crazy. Josh <laughs> Emmett makes his return. I He's back. It's been, it's been over a, a year and a half, basically. Yeah, of June of 2020. One of the underrated fights of the year of 2020 was his war with Shane Burgos, a fight he won but tore every CL in that damn knee of his. <laughs> yeah, in the first because round, too. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's that's definitely something right there. Yeah. So he obviously has a big recovery process, and it sucks because you know you get all that momentum, you know, this fight of the year, mm-hmm. um, and then you're out for a year and a half, so you can't really capitalize. It's like Tiago Santos with the John Jones fight, like I mentioned yep. earlier. But he's back. He's going up against number nine Dan Ige. Now mm-hmm. Ige looking to bounce back. He was in a headliner this summer with the Korean Zombie, where he would lose. Probably had a bit of an underwhelming yeah. showing compared to what a lot of people thought. I mean, I, I I think a lot of people thought the zombie might win, but, um, you know, Ige just didn't really have the kind of fight he's been used to having. Mm-hmm. Um, typically a guy that's, you know, bites down on the mouthpiece, goes to war, uh, but also very smart in how he does it a lot of times. And uh, this is going to be the fight where we're probably going to see that. I mean, these two guys, they bring the power. Um, they 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 bring the fight to to their opponents and um, to me I'll be interested to see who takes a back foot who takes a back step first I mean I think these two are going to literally move forward as soon as that uh, mm. as soon as that bell goes off they're going to basically move to the center they're going to move forward until they got another guy in front of them and they can't move any further forward and um, I don't know how long this fight's going to last. But I am very excited to see it, and you know, very durable guys as well. Should I mention that that the durability sure. of these two is off the charts? Yet they finish fights at such a high <laughs> clip that it this might become a war of nutrition as we go on into the the later rounds. Well, that's what makes it interesting, as you say, they're very durable. But these two guys, you know, these are the two guys in the top ten of this featherweight division, with not you know like you know, KO, TKO power. No, they have one punch in your night-night type power. That's the type of, you know, element that they're going to bring, but now they're against one another. Are they going to one-punch KO each other? Uh, or is it going to be a back-and-forth dog-out or dog-fight war? Um, I'm very intrigued by this one. For one, Josh Emmett is on a three-fight win streak, 
But is the knee injury, is the year-and-a-half layoff going to hinder him? He's 36 years old now, so time relatively of the essence when you look at this featherweight division and how it just keeps churning out young, up-and-coming prospects. And for Ige, uh, you know, he's 7-3 and three in the UFC. He's from the contender series. He's a great talent, and he's not going anywhere. But this is one where if he can win, he can stay amongst those top guys. And if he loses, he might turn into someone who kind of maybe gate keeps the top 10 fights, the new guys that are coming into the top 15. So a big fight for different reasons for both of these guys. And it should be very fun. Question is, as Noah said, how long is it going to last? We'll see. Yeah. Uh, a fight that I, I do feel pretty confident goes to the, to the judges scorecards is our yeah. next one. Now we're talking about the Bantamweight division, Dominic Cruz. Yeah, that's right. He's fighting. He's going up against Pedro Munoz, not Daniel Cormier. Right. Uh, he is fighting Pedro Munoz now. This this fight is great matchmaking, I think. You know, it I, is. I still think Dominic Cruz is severely being underrated and overlooked. I mean, this guy, yes, I know he's had these, you know, he lost about to Cody, and then he had that very long layoff, the second one of his career. And then he came back against Cejudo and got finished, uh, you know, a little controversy with that. But, I mean, are we really going to pretend like Dominic Cruz isn't one of the best Bantamweights in the world? Oh, one of the and most I unique mean, talents, too. I mean, I know he's ranked number 10, and this is a stacked division. But, I mean, this guy is clearly, in my opinion, talent-wise, probably still top five. And until that's proven otherwise, right. I don't see why – uh, I don't, and I and I wish he was on the main card of this. I thought he was weird that he was on the prelims back at uh, UFC 259, was it? I think. Yeah, with Casey um, Kenny. So here with Pedro Munoz though, and Munoz coming off of a co-main spot with Jose Aldo, mm-hmm. a fight that he kind of got outworked. I mean, yeah, really, that was a that was Aldo looking in his prime in that fight. So a very tough guy to have to go up against. Dominic, where 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 do you see this fight going? How do you see it playing out here? I mean, it's very interesting, I think, matchup we're kind of getting with this one. What I thought was interesting was uh, the very, very small soundbite of Dominic Cruz actually breaking down his fight with Daniel Cormier before they kind of went back to their little love affair. Um, and he said he thinks that Pedro is going to march forward and try and take him down. That was a bit surprising to me, and I'm not saying that Pedro is not a good grappler. He has eight submission wins in his career, but the Pedro we've seen for the past few years now is a guy that's going to stand and bang. I mean, he did it with uh, Cody Garbrandt. He did it with Jimmy Rivera. He did it with Jose Aldo. Um, he's not afraid to get in these firefights and you know take a shot to give back more, and he's not necessarily like some wild brawler. He is very technical. He carries a lot of power, but he he can get hit. He is a target at the end of the day. And Dominic Cruz, the way that he picks shots on the feet is so majestic. He's like, I don't know what animal I was thinking of, but something that just gallops in the field. That's what it's like watching Dominic Cruz fight. Like a Uh, horse. (laughs) I don't know where I was going with it. I was going to say an elk or an antelope. I don't know what the fuck those are. Anyways, (laughs) I'm not a hunter or anything. Dominic Cruz moves around the octagon. He's so unique. He always has been Uh, the closest thing to it is Corey Sanhagen. So, this is going to be fun. I don't think it's going to be on the ground. I think this will be three rounds of uh, stand-up. I do see a decision regardless of the winner here. Uh, I can't see Dominic getting finished. I definitely can't see him finishing Pedro Munoz. He's never been known to finish people throughout his career, and especially at the later stages. 
it should be a fun one, Noah. I, I am intrigued very much. I mean, it's a big fight for Munoz. You come off a loss to Aldo, and you're immediately put with Cruz, who it seems yeah. is just being kind of underrated. But, I mean, if you beat Dominic Cruz, I would argue that might be a bigger win, a better win than his win over uh, Cody Garbrandt back in yeah. 2018. I mean, it's, it's right there. So for Munoz, you kind of go from, you know, a high-profile loss and one that you, you know, kind of lost in one-sided fashion. And then you get kind of pivot into like a pretty equally as important fight. So um, not a lot of ground loss for Munoz, but this time he's got to take advantage of the opportunity. And I just, you know, Cruz is such a puzzle. He, he yeah. ultimately is. I think that's why he thanks, why Cruz himself thanks that Munoz is going to take him down because right. in my opinion, if this fight stays standing, yes, Munoz has a power advantage, but I don't really foresee that being the 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 difference. I don't see the power of Munoz being the difference maker here. I think the difference maker is going to be that that speed of movement, that awkward herky jerky kind of yeah. movement that Cruz has versus the level changes that Munoz can offer. If he goes for takedowns and they get stuffed, well at least you kind of stopped him. You have him um, even if you get stuffed and you're kind of now you're up against the cage. Well now you can at least clench him up. Yeah. At least try to put those hands on him a little bit. That's what Henry Cejudo did very well in their fight, um, and ultimately got a finish with the with the knee to the face. Uh, so, um, I think it should be a very interesting fight in one that uh, I think early on maybe if I'm gonna if I'm gonna you know switch it up, change it up, so we're not saying the same thing about all these fights. I think early on the winner might become very clear. Mm, all right, I like that. Last one here, Dominic, and it's in the heavyweight division. Number 11, Augusto Sakai looks to keep that number next to his name against Tai Tuivasa, who it's officially back, I think we can say. You know, the guy's had 3-3-3. Three, three, three. He's had uh, a yeah, three-fight yep. three winning streak to start his UFC career. Then he had the three-fight skid, almost got cut, but then has bounced back with three straight wins. Uh, coming off of that electric knockout yeah. in the first round over Greg Hardy. The shoeys were a plenty. And uh, the real question is, Dominic, will the shoeys be back in full force here? And kind of in a way I'm asking, is Taito Ivasa going to win this fight? <laughs> you don't say. Um, you know, this is a big fight for uh, both guys, really, because Kai's on a two-fight skid. He's, he came in from the contingency series, started 4-0 in the organization. They weren't the most exciting, but he was winning fights, right? But now he's really starting to fall here, and if he loses this to Ty, he's in a very uh, tough spot. Whereas Ty, as you said, has that three-three-three. He was in the rankings at one point. He lost. Now he's fighting back to crack back into the rankings once more. Uh, the guy's a finisher, man, and that's just the threat he brings. He the power that he carries in his hands is something. Um, and Sakai's shown susceptibility lately with those. And I think if Ty lands big, he may be able to finish this fight. Uh, Sakai is going to look to. I think force him up against the cage, allow or force Ty to fight his fight, not get out uh, into the distance. Because if he does, Ty's just going to swing for the fences, and he usually lands most of the time. One quick tidbit from the uh, media scrum on Wednesday: someone asked, "How many shoeys, Ty, have you done in your life?" He said, "Well, how many times has a priest been to church?" So uh, I'd say it's been quite <laughs> a few, man. And uh, we may just be seeing one more shoey at UFC 269. What do you think? 
Yeah, let's not overlook, though. I'm not saying you are. I'm just I'm saying, as the public, it's obvious. Tui Vasa is the more exciting fighter. He's the yeah. fighter that I enjoy watching a lot more. We've been personally underwhelmed with Augusto Sakai up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Sakai plays a dangerous game every time out. He He plays the long game, which is not something that heavyweight is known for. He's this big guy, but he tends to kind of grind out wins. Mm-hmm. And yes, he has. I mean, he's knocked out an opponent or two on, on his way, but for the most part, he kind of is comfortable with trying to grind out wins, which is a dangerous game to play in this division, a division where they're so big and powerful that one shot ends it. So when you have this guy who is massive, and he is durable for that reason. Yes. Look at the amount of damage he took against Overeem. I mean, it Oof. took Overeem forever to get that fight out of there. Sakai is going to be looking to load up and bring it to him early. I don't think Sakai wants, has any interest in the later rounds of this three-rounder. I think he's looking to get this fight over early. And that's it, it's a risky it's a risky move for both guys. Both guys are kind of playing into their opponent's hands almost. Sakai's going to want Tuivasa to try to throw himself out early, and then he can kind of, you know, whittle him away in rounds two and three and, yeah. you know, get a decision win. While Tuivasa wants Sakai to be more of a stationary target, be, you know, a bit caution to the caution to the punch, if you will. And he's just going to land bombs. So both guys kind of playing into their opponent's favor, at least in their mind. And because of that, I mean, it could be very boring fight because of that. If uh, I would say if Sakai were to get the upper hand, but also we could get an electric first round knockout and there'll be shoeies going all over the place. So he's going to be grabbing uh, shoes at left and right on that bitch. Uh, maybe the, maybe if, if, if even with a knockout or something, maybe Tuivasa and Sakai can do a shoey together, you know? Oh, that would like be kind of fun. In, in, in the heart of in the, in the sportsmanship, you know? Of course. That's going to wrap it up for this <sighs> edition of the Weekend Preview. Give us your thoughts on all the action going down on Saturday, any predictions you may have. Um, and also you can follow that up with, uh, if you want to be included on Monday's episode, you could always give us your thoughts after the fight. You know, what were your gut reactions your instant reactions to our main event our co-main event any of these other fights we talked about we'll feature it on the show and give our thoughts as well so that is when we'll be back we'll be back on monday with the weekend recap but uh, until then dominic oh also sunday uh we do have a regional showcase will be cage warriors yeah they have a double header this weekend yeah so I, i i don't know i can't remember which one I was going to have us watch, but uh, we'll talk about it. But Cage Warriors, one of those two events will be for Regional Showcase. Until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at dsley 14 More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. Noah, the last pay-per-view preview show of the year. Take us on out. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram at ntbaker underscore. If you go to my bio, there is a link 
that will take you to the link tree, which yes. presents you with a list of links to all the platforms the podcast is on, mm-hmm. along with the social media platforms. So that includes, but it's not limited to. <laughs> got you again, you yes. son of a bitch. All you right, really I'm going to lean back. You really thought. <laughs> but it's not limited to the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast. It's all on there. And there's a couple of links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Watch those hands. Watch those fingers, buddy. Shout um, out, Anchor. You don't want to accidentally put those fingers in the camera. You, you know who people. loves me for my hands? Anchor does. <laughs> First with Anchor, leave a voice message. Do it, people. Like Harry Bolzania did. <laughs> like Yes, like our good friend Harry Bolzania. You, too, could be featured on the show. Mm-hmm. And there's a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. Any and all support is appreciated as we look to take. We look to be the little engine that could and take this thing to the top. Oh, yeah. But that's it. We're out. And we're going to see you all on Monday. Damn right. Thank you.